Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about perhaps one of the most difficult things to talk about on a podcast or a radio show, which is visualization. We're going to try, yeah. Yeah, so um, bear with us. This will be fun. You're listening to Linear Digressions. All right, so what do we have first? So before we actually dig into visualization, uh-huh. do you remember Dimitri, our friend Dimitri? Dimitri. Our friend, uh, um, no, <laughs> who are you talking about? So we got an email a couple weeks ago now as we're recording. Oh, Dimitri. Got yeah. It. <laughs> Dimitri. Dimitri Petrikov, I think is how he, you say his last name. Didn't he email us about Pokemon? He did. Yeah. So this is one of our listeners who I guess listened to our episode on eigenfaces. Mm-hmm. And remember, that was an episode all about doing facial recognition using principal components analysis and what's called sort of like the eigenfaces method. And he did this really cool little analysis of his own using eigenfaces. And he was identifying Pokemon. Pokemon. That's right. So he sent us this really great email where it has all these pictures of (laughs) little dinosaur things. I Yeah, I have to admit, I am not a Pokemon fan, but I do love Pikachu. Pikachu is super cute. Did you see the, the little game this was making the rounds also about at the same time a couple of weeks ago? And it, it's this game you can play where it pops up the name of something and it's either a big data technology or a Pokemon and you have to oh, guess which yeah. one it is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I was really bad at that game. I am too. I'm like worse than guessing. So yeah, that, that was a really cool email, um, and, and we love getting emails. If you're doing anything cool with data science, or, or if you have any questions or any of that stuff, you can always email us at ben at lineardigressions.com or katie at lineardigressions.com. And we love getting those emails. But getting back a, a little bit to the original topic of this episode, so I was thinking a little bit about faces uh, as mm-hmm. a result of that email from Dimitri, and it reminded me of this very cool little visual technique that I once saw called Chernoff faces. And that was what I wanted to talk about uh, in the first part of our episode today. Chernoff. Okay. I have not heard of Chernoff faces, but I'm looking them up right now. It makes me think of the alcohol, Smirnoff, but not really. Or okay, like so the I'm... Kolmogorov Smirnoff test, I assume is yeah. the other thing you might think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I'm on Wikipedia right now and um, I'm seeing an example of Chernoff faces and it's a bunch of, it, it looks like, it looks like if somebody took Microsoft Paint and drew faces with the circle tool and the line tool. And like they've got their eyebrows are kind of, uh, many of their eyebrows look angry and their their mouths are shaped in different ways. But I don't really know why, why I'm looking at this. Yeah, so there are these little cartoon faces, like you said, just sort of line drawings. And you can tell that each of the faces has a number of different attributes, like the shape of the face and the orientation of the eyes and whether it's smiling or it's frowning and how much. And generally what's going on here is this is a data visualization tool, which I don't think people really use for like hardcore data visualization. But right. here's the problem that you might have is you might have a data set that has 15 or 20 uh, variables that you might be interested in. There's no particular reason why any two of those uh, should be privileged. And in general, you only have two dimensions when you're doing something like drawing a scatter plot or like a histogram or something. So really what that is, is it's a way of taking your multiple dimensions, let's say 15 different dimensions, if these variables are independent, and visualizing that. And while visualizing in more than three dimensions is basically impossible for a human being, 
you're saying that Chernoff faces assign d- these different dimensions to things like the eyebrows or the shape of the face or how much they're smiling. And then you can individually look at these different dimensions because humans are really good at, at you know, detecting emotion on faces and noticing all the different things. Yep, that's basically it. So the attributes of the face are going to be taken from uh, the variables. And so for one example, in the original paper from like the 1970s, this has been around for a long time, what Chernoff was thinking about was trying to visualize some, I think, geophysics data or something like this, something having to do with like rocks or minerals or something. Uh-huh. And so there's many different attributes there that that he might want to visualize. Um, he's a statistician, not a geo geologist. So he doesn't necessarily want to be privileging any of these. Um, but he does have this idea, exactly like you said, that humans are evolutionarily like really good at detecting uh, even kind of small differences in faces. And that things like the slant of the eyebrows, which sort of we read as like being angry, uh, is something that we're very, very sensitive to. And so then once you start encoding this information within the faces, humans are very quick and have this very good kind of gut level ability to look at lots of faces and start to recognize the patterns in the faces, even if they would have had trouble recognizing those patterns in just tables of numbers. Mm, So I can look at these faces on the Wikipedia page and I can say most of these judges look angry because of their eyebrows. Um, They're all pretty much looking in the same direction, except for one or two of them. And they all have similar mouth shapes in general. It's it's a very it feels like a very cheap calculation for my brain to do because I'm evolutionarily predisposed to do this all the time to identify faces so I can ident like interact with other human beings right yep and that's that's sort of the insight of Chernoff faces is just how good we are at at handling sort of facial uh, information compared to some of the other ways that information might be presented so I've never found uh, I did a little bit of googling wasn't able to find any examples of doing some serious like real visualizing big important data sets with turn off faces. I think it's a little bit more of like just a novelty visualization, Uh, but really cool. And especially cool once you start thinking about, no, there's actually like a really good reason why you might want to represent data this way. Again, going back to the way that uh, we're evolutionarily advantaged to, to recognize the patterns. I find actually for me, it's more of a wake up call that no, you don't have to just make a chart. Like there are other things you can do to visualize data. And this is just such an outside-of-the-box method. It kind of stimulates my imagination and makes me think about, like, what are these? What are the other ways that might not necessarily be obvious to, uh, to visualize my data? Well, so speaking of sort of outside-the-box data visualizations, let's move on to our second example, mm-hmm. which I want to tell you about. This is called usually the greatest visualization that has ever happened in data science. So that you know, not is to oversell a heck it. Of a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is called the Minard map. I hope I'm saying that correctly, which I'm probably not because I believe this guy was French. So Minard, perhaps. Charles Minard. Um, and this is a visualization. Again, you can find it on Wikipedia. Uh, you want to be googling for M I N A R D is how you say the guy's last name, mm-hmm. or rather how you spell it. And he was studying the march of Napoleon's army to Moscow and back during the winter of 1812 to 1813. Do you have this open? Yeah, I, I do. And um, I have to say, when you said it's the greatest visualization of all time, I expected something flashy with colors and everything, because that's what we see these days. But it's actually, it, it looks like quite a simple visualization. There's, there are, there's a black bar and a beige bar. 
going from the left to the right of the image. And the beige bar kind of gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And in a couple places, it branches off almost like a tree branch. And the black bar gets larger and fatter as we go. There's so, also a visual. There's also a vertical component of it, like where these uh, where these lines move uh, from left to right. Yeah. So let me decode this for you a little bit. Okay. So you should read this as sort of a round trip journey. Uh, so we start at the left hand side of the plot, uh, where the the beige bar actually I think it's gray in the original version, but. Um, where that is at its thickest point. And the way to read this is there's some original version which has some sizing, and the encoding of the size is that how thick the bar is, each millimeter corresponds to 10,000 soldiers in Napoleon's army. Oh, okay, so this is the size of the troop. Yeah, so they start on the Polish-Russian border, and you can see that that's where the line is the thickest because they're starting out with the full strength. They're huge. Yeah, and so you start to see, like you said, a few places where... Um, significant portions of the of the um, this branch start branching off, right? And so that's subsets of the army that then go off on their little side campaigns, and may or may not rejoin the main force later. Oh, so the positioning is actually like latitude and longitude. Yes. Yeah, so the x y coordinates are actually you can see that there's a little bit of a a wiggle and some kinks in there. And that's actually following their geographical trip as they're, you know, sometimes they go a little more north and sometimes a little bit more south as they're physically journeying to Moscow. So that's another sort of piece of information that's encoded in this visual. Right. So we've got latitude, longitude. We've got the number of troops. Right. And so then you can see, for example, there's this really nasty period uh, relatively early on where it looks like he's losing probably half of his army to who knows what exactly, if there was disease or it was it was bad temperatures or what um, exactly is going on there. Um, but you can see that the, that the attrition starts to get really bad, um, mm-hmm. but he carries on, ends up in Moscow. And so then Moscow is kind of in the upper right-hand corner of this plot. And then turns around and comes back the way, well, not exactly the way that he came, because you can see that the oh, latitude and longitude is slightly different. So, Katie, the black bar is actually them coming back. Yeah. Oh, see, I thought, oh, wow. Oh, wow. So so now that I know how to read this, he he loses, like, almost everybody. Right. So by the time he gets to Moscow, he's lost probably three quarters of his soldiers, might be my guess. Yeah. And then by the time he gets from Moscow all the way back to the point where he started, he's, he's lost 80% of that. Just the tiniest fraction of what he oh. started with ends up coming back couple percent and you can also see there's a little bit of uh, geographical information that's overlaid in the form of some rivers so you can also see the way especially on the way back uh there's a river or two that when they cross there's a a pretty noticeable kink where it looks like they're losing a number of people you know at the river crossing yeah it looks like there's one river where they where they lose half the people oh actually maybe maybe that that group doubles back and goes a different route i think yeah, you can also see a couple places where one of the the groups that branches off early on then rejoins the main force later as they're coming back, and yeah. and so some of these like nuances are also encoded in the information. That's incredible, and and on the bottom there's also a temperature graph. It looks like right. So one of the other things that's going on in this visualization is, of course, this is happening over the winter, and uh-huh. winters are terrible because they are cold. <laughs> I can tell you this is a recent transplant to chicago um yeah i mean i'm i'm still in california and i'm complaining (laughs) i hate the cold well you wouldn't have wanted to be on a russian campaign with napoleon's army so what this is 
charting is the the temperature, from what I can tell, is kind of going backwards in time. So this is the temperature as you read it from right to left. It's going sort of like forward in time. So it's a little bit backwards of the way that you would usually think of it. But this is charting the temperature on their return trip when the weather was really, really bad. And so you can see sort of the correspondence between the weather dropping and also the attrition that that's having on the troops because, you know, conditions are just so hard because it's so cold. And so on the bottom, you have this information about how brutally, brutally cold it was when they were trying to make this return journey, you know, 20, 30 degrees below zero, um, which obviously is, is really, really tough when you're out there as a soldier, probably not very well equipped trying to make your way home. So there's also all this temperature information, not just the geographical information and the, the numbers of troops that they're seeing, but also the temperature that they're experiencing as they go on this like really terrible campaign. Okay, so I'm starting to understand why people think this is a brilliant graph, because although it's not necessarily visually appealing when you first look at it, it has encoded in these different uh, aspects of it, like the fatness of the bar or the the position on the xy axis or the color you have all of this information encoded in there if you just know how to read it i mean i would even say that it it is actually kind of good looking but maybe that's just because (laughs) because i already knew how to read it or something but yeah it's uh it's has a well-earned place as one of the most uh informative visualizations that sort of has ever been made and i think it, it really you know there was a moment a little earlier where we were talking about Oh, so you can see the army going out and then coming back and you can compare sort of the number that they started with and the number that they ended with. And just having sort of those visuals sitting right on top of each other, it really makes it extremely clear, like just how terrible of a campaign this was for the Napoleonic army, how it just like completely destroyed their army in a way that, you know, it's hard to imagine ways to make this sort of statistic so effectively portrayed as it is here. Right. Like, it's just really obvious. Like, oh, this right. was terrible. Yeah, it, 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 it says to me, 25 people go out, one returns. If that, yeah. If that. It's, it's tiny. And seeing it visually kind of makes it a little bit more clear to me. It, it, it almost brings me back to that time in a way. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.